Hello, hello. You found us once again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today we want to talk about Belarus, specifically about an article that was written by a journalist named Anne Applebaum for The Atlantic called The Autocrats Are Winning. There's also the issue of the decline of democracy, which is something that ties into what Applebaum had been reporting. Last night, Mike and I saw King Richard. King Richard. With Will Smith, which was wonderful. And we'll talk about that too. Autocracies are winning. Applebaum went into a long piece about Belarus specifically. Okay. And Lukashenko. And the reason that she did is, one, there's this crisis at the Belarus-Poland border Mm -hmm. where Belarus enticed migrants from Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria to come to Belarus, to fly into Minsk, then they were transported. And they would arrange a beautiful transition for them to yes. Western Europe, where they could live a happy life forever Exactly. After. They could go into Lithuania or Poland or... Latvia and Estonia. That didn't happen. That's not happening. The mm-hmm. European countries have put up a wall of, well, they have a fence that's a border, and mm-hmm. they also have, I, right. I guess it's police and not the actual military, but right. there are police right. on but that the, border. But the Belarus government put all the refugees on the border in the cold forest where they're dying as a provocation. Like, well, now what are you going to do to these Western countries? Exactly. And that is in response to the fact that oh. Lukashenko, for all intents and purposes, is everybody knows that he stole the election. He lost the election, claimed that he hadn't. He said that he'd gotten 80% of the vote, and he is a puppet of Putin's. Right. I think they've had some big crackdown, too, on demonstrations in Belarus. Out of 10 million people, there were demonstrations as large as 1.5 million. And they were actually very optimistic that their protests were going to lead to the end of Lukashenko's reign. Yeah. Yes, again, look at Ukraine. He not only claimed that he'd won, but he cracked down on all dissidents Mm -hmm. and journalists. Mm -hmm. And he's now got sanctions against him, which the Russians are working with him to counteract. Right. For one thing, they have cigarettes there. Mm -hmm. And because cigarettes from Belarus are sanctioned, they're now smuggled through Russia and sold as Russian cigarettes. So that's one way that autocracies help each other. Mm -hmm. The thing that I learned was that the autocracies are not joined by any kind of real political philosophy. Okay. They are nationalists, they're totalitarian, Mm -hmm. they're like the Chinese government, but they are all joined by this idea that they have to support each other because if an autocracy were to fall to democracy, it could destabilize the the whole thing because democracy looks very tempting and it's difficult, but it looks enticing to people who are living under the thumb of a dictator. Now, Lukashenko is doing something that other autocrats haven't done as much, which is to jail, kidnap, torture, rape his opponents and murder them. He's willing to do that in a way that's blatant. That oh, like a reign of terror. But doesn't that come in among, among many of them? Philippines is that way. But the Philippines is actually technically a democracy. I know that's strange, but yeah, they elected Duterte, but he's right. actually going to be voted out of office. Oh, right. He had a six-year reign, and then he's going to be booted out, and his daughter is running for vice president, and the Marcos right. son is running for president, and yeah. it's all kooky and crazy. But they all have supported each other. They also utilize Western money to do it. Mm. Let me backtrack. Before I talk about Western money, what they do give each other is military advice. 
Okay. Policing advice. One thing that Russia, that Putin has made clear is that if you have a protest, you don't need to jail hundreds of people. You just jail certain prominent people mm-hmm. and harm them mm-hmm. very distinctly, and then other people will be too scared to protest. Right. So that's what he's done. He's slyer than Lukashenko is. Right. He denies that things have gone on. He denies that Alexei Navalny, who was poisoned on an airplane, poison was put in his underwear, actually. And he became ill. Mm -hmm. He was taken to Germany and got better there. I think it was Novacek that was the poison, which is really deadly. He decided that he was going to come back to... And be an opposition leader. Yes. Crazy. And <laughs> knew he would be arrested, but didn't think he would actually be jailed the way that he has been jailed. Mm-hmm. Everybody who was associated with him has either been exiled or yeah. gone underground. There is no opposition yeah. anymore. And he drove Putin crazy. Oh, right. He was so beloved, and his movement was growing so much that Putin just couldn't tolerate it. He did something as obvious as poisoning him and then arresting him when he got back. What these countries give each other is the license for the leaders to be dictators and to seek power for themselves and Mm -hmm. wealth for themselves Mm -hmm. and have no interest in what's best for the people or the country. No, but I imagine part of how they gain their power is by making the case to people in their country that they're going to improve things. I was watching another one of my World War One documentaries and they were talking oh. about Mussolini and how he came into power. He made the trains run on time. Exactly. He convinced them that democracy, you know, Europe was in this stage of all these new democracies starting and monarchies declining and democracy taking their place. And he convinced people that democracy was outmoded and degenerate, kind of. It didn't serve the people. That strong leadership, that's what the country needed. And people fell for it. They did. Yeah. They even showed a parade and they showed truckloads of nuns going by Mussolini in the reviewing stand, holding up their arms in kind of Hitler-like salutes. And I don't think it was because they were scared. I think it was because... They believed him, just like the Trump people believed Trump. So I think in these countries, they're probably also successful at appealing to people's discomfort in a time when things are uncertain and changing and people are dying of viruses and all this stuff that nobody can control. People are freaking out. Yes. I think democracy does look chaotic to the Mm -hmm. outside world. It looks messy. We're not giving a great impression of how the democratic process works. Yeah. There's just a sense that as Xi Jinping, who, by the way, has now been elevated to Mm -hmm. a level that has only been designated for Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping. So they are essentially gods Mm -hmm. who cannot be relieved of their power. Right. So he will be in power until he dies, unless something else happens. But China is up there too. And China just does not believe that, as Biden even said, there's a disbelief that democracy can work Mm -hmm. because it takes too long. It isn't efficient enough. Mm And that's what these dictators are selling to their public. I don't know that the public is buying it or if they're just so oppressed by the police and by the military. One, I think there's brainwashing going on. Two, I think it's hard for people to turn against a leader that maybe actually does deliver something good for them. Yes. And and we're probably not that safe from going that direction either. Someone said, I think it was Jill Weinbanks, she said, Trump didn't create the Republican Party. He revealed it to be what it is. Right. So what we have now is our own burgeoning autocracy. But the other point about autocracies that our own little country bleeds into Mm -hmm. is that 
democracy has been in decline. See, we saw Brexit was a breakaway from democracy. Mm-hmm. Even though it came out of a democracy, but it was really fulminated by Russian disinformation. You know, and I think in England, forgive me because I don't have enough expertise to say this knowledgeably. In England, <laughs> that's never stopped us. It's never stopped me before. In England and here, the thing about anti democracy is really about anti brown people. And the British Brexit, white people yeah. freaked out because by joining the EU, they opened their borders people they didn't really want to see in their country. And then once those people come in, and same thing here, once you have a preponderance of people of color, your perception, if you're a frightened rural white person, is that you're not going to be in charge anymore and you're going to be taken over and you're going to lose everything that is near and dear to you. Yes, all your values. The flames of those fears are fanned by autocratic political figures like Trump and like Ron DeSantis and like Louis Gohmert, and like Paul Gosar, but even and in, like in, Marjorie Trailer Green. Even in France, Marine Le Pen is mm-hmm. a huge threat to That's Macron. True. She's been around for a long time, too. Well, her father was That's the right, same. Jean-Marie Le Pen. Yeah, they've been pushing that for a long time. That right-wing party there has been pushing and for many. And they've made headway. She's a serious threat to right. Macron. I don't know where that's going, but if you look at Turkey as a member of the EU, oh, yeah. Poland is a member of the EU, right? and they're going seriously right. in the autocratic direction. Yeah. So yeah. it's very, very worrisome that the countries that we used to look to to promote democracy mm-hmm are now falling to autocracy. Right. Maybe something, too, about the diffusion of media control with the internet and all of that has made people kind of crazy and kind of hysterical. Because we were talking earlier before we started taping tonight about how in the U.S. I tend to think of the anti-vaxxers as kind of a right-wing... Unique to us. A right-wing sliver weirdo group. But today in the paper, there are anti-vaccine demonstrations going on in almost every country in Western Europe. In the place where I always looked to them for a model of how to sane governments function. Yeah. You know? And you said in France and in Belgium and... Yeah, all over the place. And Austria just put in these very strict temporary requirements that people can't leave their house if they're not vaccinated. They can go to work. They can go to work and to a grocery store and maybe to the doctor, but they can't socialize and go out to the theater or what have you. I question the idea of them going to work. That seems yeah. bizarre to me. Anyway. Well, in any event, people are upset. When I heard that Austria was putting those things in place, I thought, oh, what a nice country. They're being so sane and so yes. and so careful about their public health. You know, in our country, I think it's focused around fear of loss of white privilege. I don't know how to wrap this up except to say that we are looking at a dire set of circumstances mm-hmm. that don't look good for our keeping our democracy. Right. I'm maybe a little unrealistic in this idea that people who want to maintain some semblance of democratic structure get involved in learning how to maybe manipulate, it's not the right word, but how to steer public opinion, at least steer it away from the forces that are yeah. grabbing it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about King Uh, Richard? Yeah. Oh, we need something upbeat here. Yes, really. This is what I knew of the story, that Venus and Serena Williams grew up in Compton, and their father decided at an early age, and according to the movie, it was before they were born or when they were born, but they were going to be tennis pros. Not just tennis pros, but the greatest ever. Right. And he learned about tennis from a book. Mm -hmm. And maybe he learned it from a book when he was a kid, because in the movie, they talk about being tennis players. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway, he designed this plan. He had a, he was a man with a plan. Right. And he was an overbearing, domineering father. Yeah. And yet somehow, at least in this version of it, right. these five girls, and there were only five girls, there were no boys in the mix, mm-hmm. did not seem oppressed by him. Mm-hmm. They seemed to thrive. Mm-hmm. Venus is the one, who, I mean, it's kind of ironic since Serena is the one who's really risen to become one of the greatest of all time. Right. Not the but greatest she couldn't have done that if Venus hadn't paved the way. According to the movie, that's right. Makes sense in a way. I mean, the world wasn't quite ready, but we became ready. Yeah. What were you saying about the love in the family? I just kept watching the interactions of these family members. And even though it wasn't like Norman Rockwell, it wasn't Disneyfied or Hallmark card-like. No, they had conflicts. They had conflicts, but there seemed to be an undercurrent of almost fierce love for each other through it all. Because Venus always succeeded, there were very few scenes where she needed to be comforted because she was always doing well. Sometimes she needed to be comforted because her dad was working out his theory, his plan for her career in a way that seemed like maybe it wasn't really helping her. So sometimes she was upset. But but when she was, or when any of the kids was, the way they would come together and just hug and just hold and just be there for each other when there were difficulties. I was just floored by that. I thought, are they leaving something out? There has to be some more deep-seated dysfunction in this family, but there just didn't seem to be. Being the bombastic personality that he was, Mm -hmm. about a quarter of the way through it thought, oh, he's got to go. There's something about him. He's He's got to... Obsessive. Yes. But, you know, even in the movie, and who knows what real life was like, but in the movie, even when he was being tough with them, he always had a tone of love. When he'd call her, now Venus Williams, you got to do this. Venus Williams, you got to do that. And I don't recall him yelling at any of them. No, the only time he yelled was at the interview. Ooh. Do you remember how upset he got at the interview? Oh, Girl, right. That was the only time he was he protective of her mental and emotional well-being. I mean, I just never have seen that kind of parenting <laughs> happen before. And yeah. it was just so calming for me to see that. Oh, interesting. It made me a little crazy because I rankled under the absolute dominance that he had over those girls. He did. Well, I mean, they dealt with that very nicely. I thought in this, there's a scene with him and his wife where they talked about that, yeah, that power differential, yeah, and addressed it. But yes, I can see what you're saying. That's um, just me. That's just, right. that's just a trigger but for me. It just seemed like everything was done in a big envelope of, yeah, maybe a crazy dad with this crazy plan. But it seemed to fit them. It didn't seem to traumatize them at all. No. Not one. And No, they seemed to feel, each of them, seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't believe, I wanted to see a B or C story about resentment between the two sisters. I just thought, in any family with two siblings who are both top achievers like that, there's got to be some hatred somewhere. Show me the dark side. And they didn't, but I buy it. I always wondered about that when they would go up against each other. Right. But I think that they were sisters first. Mm -hmm. He was also the fierce papa bear. He was living in Compton where the incentives to get involved in crime or drugs were strong. And he protected them. Yes. Fiercely. Yes. Without muzzling them. The environment was another character Mm -hmm. in the story. Mm -hmm. And the conditions of the tennis courts where they went. That's right. That's a good point. He was a black man Mm -hmm. with black daughters. Right. And he was well aware of what that might mean. And it was only in the 
safety of that mm-hmm. household that he felt that they would not succumb right. to what was out there waiting for them. I give it all two of my thumbs up. So I also saw Passing. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's a story of two women who are black in the 1920s. I saw saw the little blurb for it online. It's such an interesting film. Is it? One of the women is passing as white. Right. She's married to a racist. Right. Alexander Skarsgård. Is she passing with him? Yes. Really? She passes with him. Okay, because I saw a little scene where he was talking to the friend who is not passing, and I thought, is he covering up for her? But no, he's he's taken no. in. And she's passing at that moment. She's passing as white. Right. Because she has her hat right. kind of covering her eyes, Right. and she's pale. The problem that I had with the movie, honestly, is neither of these women look white to me. One said in the course of it, it's easier for a black woman to pass as white than it is for a white woman to pass as black. Now, I guess that's quite true. Well, there's no incentive in our culture for white women to pass as black, except for that one kooky lady. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel Dowzall. Right. Yes. It's a really different take on this kind of passing story because what's happened is this woman whose name is Claire, the woman whose passing is white, has become so oppressed by having to pass that she just wants to go back to being black again. She befriends a woman who she grew up with who lives in Harlem. And once she's in Harlem, she realizes that that's where she wants to be. Mm. But she doesn't fit in with the people in Harlem because she's passing as white. Right, right. So she can't Mm -hmm. go in either place. Mm -hmm. And the woman who's befriended her is also jealous that she's passing, that she has a life that she envies and she doesn't want to. Right. It's fascinating, just a fascinating story, written from a book, directed by Rebecca Hall, who is Sir Peter Hall's daughter, oh. and also an actress, was in Vicky something Barcelona. Oh, right. <laughs> so Christina? That's it. Vicky Christina Barcelona. There we go. That's it. Anyway, a thumbs up on that one. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Very yeah. interesting. It's, it's just such a painful subject to look at, you know. It, it is painful I mean, to watch it. The irony, of course, is that the woman who's passing probably is more oppressed in her own way than had she not made the decision to do that. Because like you said, now she's locked out of two worlds and her own self. She's alienated from her own self. Yes, she's divorced from her own self. That's, right. that's the real tragedy of it. Right. And her friend is living in Harlem during the Renaissance. I mean, Mm. during the time when Harlem was a thriving cosmopolitan place, but they were oppressed. Mm. They were oppressed, no getting around it. They were also, they had a community community that was thriving. She's married to a doctor, so they have quite a bit of luxury. Anyway, thumbs up on that one. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Once again, we will be taking a break between December 12th and the beginning of January, fingers crossed, and we will be back in your ears a week from today. So long, boomers. See you then. Bye-bye. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.